This episode of the Getting Smart Podcast is part of our new Pathways campaign. What is something you used to think that you've changed your mind about? It's time for us to do that with all things learning. Previous Getting Smart campaigns have laid the groundwork of networks, place, purpose, and innovation. Our latest effort, the new Pathways campaign, will serve as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. In partnership with ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation, the new Pathways campaign will question education status quo and propose new methods of giving students a chance to experience success in what's next. Find out more at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. On this episode of the Getting Smart Podcast, we have some returning guests from Notre Dame de Sion, or Scion. We spoke to these students last year before they went on a transformational trip to Kenya. Mary, Suzanne, Claire, and Ginger, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. I can't wait to hear about your trip. But first, we're going to start with Emily Lai, Director of STEAM. Emily, thanks so much for being here. Shawnee, thank you for having us. Well, I'm so excited. Ever since we talked to um, the team, gosh, last year, I mean, the time goes so fast. Um, They were preparing to go to Africa. Um, They were a part of this micro schools, micro, um, the globals class, and they were letting us know all about their research. And we're going to go back to them in just a moment. Um, But I also want to hear about your experience because you were fortunate enough to traveling with them. So can you just give us a quick snippet of what the class is and just kind of some of your big takeaways from the experience? Absolutely. Time does fly. I can hardly believe they're about to wrap up the school year. Um, The Global Impacts Micro School is an interdisciplinary course. The students are in this course and they're receiving AP English, Global Health, as well as an ethics credit. We meet two hours a day and the first semester was dedicated to studying the UN SDGs. And so students were looking at topics really in depth through the lens of literature, through ethics, and they typically culminated in a project. Um, And then the second semester, it was really student oriented or student driven. They got to select their own research topic based off of these UN SDGs that they studied. And so they'll tell you a little bit more about what their research question was, but they really did build it from start to finish, refining the question, doing a literature review, going to Kenya and doing a field study. And so during our time in Kenya, each of their research projects was connected to an individual, a partner, or an expert in the field where they really got to study the problem at hand. Um, And then they came back and they worked on their solution proposals. And that's where we are right now. Can you say a little bit more about the solution proposals? What is that process? Absolutely. And so it's really important that when we're proposing solutions, especially solutions that are geared towards um, targeting bigger questions, that it comes from a place of knowledge and information Um, that they have a good context of the problem and that we're not going into a different country and saying, this is what I saw was wrong. Here's your solution, right? It's really listening to others and building that empathy and coming up with creative ideas to brainstorm a sustainable solution alongside others so that our world is a better place. And so practicing those skills while we were there and then coming back to make these important um, solutions was a big part of their task. And so they brainstormed a lot of different options, 
had constant communication with those community partners and a series of refinement in order to get to this point. And of course, at the end of the day, it's still up to that community partner to adopt it in the way that fits best for their environment. And is that who they're presenting to? Are they uh, presenting their proposals to the partners or who are they presenting to? Yeah, so we're excited that the students will be able to create a digital portfolio um, that will be a showcase that lasts and that can be um, shared not just to these community partners, but really to anybody who is willing and open to learn. And so hopefully this is something that we could just send to you or if somebody listening to this is interested can um, learn more about our students' journey. And um, last question before I jump over to the girls, because all of these girls are now seniors um, because this school year has technically ended and um, they are moving from junior year to senior year. Will there be any continuation of the project into the next year um, or is that kind of just up to each individual? That is totally up to each individual. I think we have some students who are actually planning on continuing this work over the summer in the form of an internship. There are some students who are going to move into our design Worlds Impacts course, which is a similar model. And so this could be an option for them to extend their research. We have another student who's filming a podcast in a couple of weeks after school's out. And so it's cool because they got to pick their own research and you can see their passion go through because it's totally up to them what they do with their project. And a lot of them are continuing on with it just because they feel it's important and it is important. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you. And girls, I'm coming to you. And it was really important that we talked to the same group um, that we talked to before you went to Kenya, because we are so excited to hear about the experience. I've personally never been there, so I'm going to live vicariously through you all. But Ginger, I'm going to start with you. Can you remind us of what your research question was, why you chose it, and um, why do you think this particular question or concept is important? Of course. So my research question is why don't 7th through 12th grade students in Kenya and the U.S. have adequate access to climate education and how do we change that? So I picked this question because as we were learning about like the U.N. Sustainable Development Goals, I realized that climate education was something I was really passionate about because like the climate is changing and we're pretty sure it's from human activity and I realized that I really want to be like more sustainable. I want to learn more about this issue. Um, and in order to solve the problem, there needs to be more awareness for everyone. And I was doing research on how many students have access to climate education in, bo- in both countries. And in the US, like there are not a lot of different, like the standards are all over the place because it varies by state. Um, and then in Kenya, the teachers have to teach for like standardized exams, so they can't always teach about climate education. So I've been trying to identify solutions to that problem. And have you been able to identify any yet? Are you still just kind of... So I um, actually created a lesson plan that could be for like students in Kenya or the U.S., um, I would like theoretically send it out to teachers, um, have them teach it to their students. And I included feedback forms for the teachers and the students. So in that study, I would like look at the data, see, I asked several questions like, were you in, was the lesson interesting? Um, what did you learn? How could this be better? What did you like, dislike, stuff like that. So I would like 
kind of gather information from that and then go from there and see how I could like maybe change it or like how it could advise future lesson plans. Okay, awesome. Sounds like a great start. What about you, Claire? What was your research question and your why and um, why you think your particular question is important? Okay, so my um, research question was, um, why aren't drip irrigation systems being used in Kenya? And um, what can be done to increase their usage? Um, I chose this research question um, based off of the itinerary we were given in Kenya. It was one of the activities was uh, uh, installing drip irrigation system in a school. And I, of all the activities, that one just like really stuck out to me as something that was interesting. And then also like based on the sustainable development goals, uh, like sustainable development was uh, something that I was pretty interested in. Um, so that's kind of where my research questions stemmed from. Um, and I just, I think it's really important because um, almost everyone in like rural Kenya, like where we stayed, relies on agriculture, um, not just as like a like income, but also to, you know, feed their families. Like that's where people get their food, their own farms. So um, in addition to having like massive droughts, I realized that this is like a really important um, thing that needs to be looked into, how to use water um, effectively. And, and it sounds like yours and Ginger's are kind of connected, um, but something that you said stood out to me was just the reliance on agriculture. You said not just for work, but just kind of to live. Uh, and I don't know if you saw this or not, but I'll ask it anyway. Did you see a different appreciation for the land um, over in Kenya because of the reliance? Um, I mean, everyone kind of, they just, they knew more about it, I guess. Like people, um, you know, everyday people, like they could recognize like species of trees and plants. Um, for someone else's research um, project, we went on like a hike to learn about medicinal plants. And I mean, it was something that just people used um, every day. Uh, so um, people definitely like just knew more in general about their environment. Like I couldn't walk outside and identify different types of trees, um, but people there could just because they were so much more um, connected to it. And I mean, in addition to that, like, the food we had there, like it was so like healthy. I don't, just because like, unlike in America where, you know, they, all our food grew hundreds of miles away from where we're actually eating it. Like everything was farmed right next to us. Like there were times where we like picked a, I think it was mangoes off a tree and ate it. Like um, just being able to like have that food source literally right next to you um, was definitely like a really cool experience. And there's just something truly beautiful about that um, to be like right there next to the food that's giving you nourishment. Gosh, there's so many metaphors. And did it rain a lot while you all were there? And kind of how was that treated? It, um, while we were there, it was kind of the transition from their dry to their rainy season. And, you know, they've had um, six consecutive failed raining seasons. So when we were there, we did experience a little bit of rain. And it was, I mean, it was so cool. Like, um, we had some students from Kenya with us. And, I mean, they got, like, really excited when we had this one day of really hard rain um, for, like, a solid, I believe, like, 45 minutes. It was raining pretty hard, which is 
um, a lot um, for the drought they've been in. Um, but it was also really interesting just because, you know, you are in like a desert. So it would be, I mean, sunny, hot, clear skies all day. And then all of a sudden it would just be pouring rain for, you know, a short amount of time. And then maybe 30 minutes after that, you'd have no idea that it rained. Um, so it was just like a really cool experience when it rained because it was just very different from how it rains here in Kansas City. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And, and Mary, I, you know, we'll get to your research question too in just a moment, but it's just, you know, when you go on these trips, I'm sure, you know, you obviously went with a focus, right? Whatever your research question was, but then the the culture and the appreciation that you gain, I'm sure, um, as a result of just like being in the space was kind of truly powerful for you. Um, what was your most powerful moment, Mary? Um, I think one of my most powerful moments was getting to hear about what their school experience was like there. It was one of the first nights we spent there and it was definitely like culture shock, just learning like Kenya is one of the most intense school systems in the entire, like in the world. And they would take, they had like 14 hour school days, not a lot of breaks. They would do chores at school. It was boarding school. I never like heard of that experience. And there's clearly some like, even it was an opportunity for them, but there was clearly like extreme abuse happening in that educational like sphere that they were in. Um, and both the students who were with us had just graduated and they were like so excited to like get out and finally be doing different things out in the world. And also their college experience, like for college, they just submit to like a big organization and they sort of get, they submit their test scores and they, the organization picks where they go to school and picks like what their major is even based on where they score so like one of our one of the girls who was with us wanted to be a teacher and the other girl was like if you want to be a teacher you'll probably get to be a teacher because there's not a lot of them but the other girl wanted to be um, a nurse and she's like it's so hard to do that because if you score higher or lower than where the nursing field is they're going to put you there and so she could easily like if she scored higher maybe they'd put her into engineering and she doesn't want to be an engineer so it was like a very like interesting way because in America, like we just have so much, like all I've been being asked this year is where do you want to go to college? What do you want? Like all these criteria and there's not a lot of choice in their decision. And I was just like, this is so interesting to hear about how school is there. Wow. Yeah. And I, I want to unpack that more, but I, unfortunately we probably don't have time for that. We'll, that's a whole different process because that's, so many questions, um, you know, and I, I want to hear about, you know, kind of how you think about that a little bit more, but you did have some choice and your choice was around your research question um, for this experience. So what was your research question and why um, do you think My research was question was, can AI data analysis systems be implemented into Lewa's, um data collection process in Kenya to better their conservation and increase biodiversity? Um, and I picked that after I was researching a different question. I think the last time I did this podcast, I might have been doing that other question. But I <laughs> read an article that sort of explained the data trap that a lot of developing countries fall into in like an AI based world. Like we are moving towards an AI based world so quickly. And the US and China are going to be fine. They're thriving. They have tons of data that they're collecting every single day. But even countries like India and the UK, places in the UK are going to struggle just because they don't have as many people sending data and they don't have as like they don't have as much of a monopoly over the world of AI. So 
I learned that Kenya and these types of countries fall into a trap that they have no control over the way that the world is continuing to develop without them, like the way it has for many, many thousands of years, just because of racism and different, like just classism and all types of stuff, like the Western world is developing so much faster. And I was like, AI is being used. A lot of people see it as this tool that's going to take their jobs, take away all of these types of things, but it can be used in conservation and it can be used to track animals and make these researchers jobs so much easier. And I was like, I want to research how Lewa could be doing that and how like these reserves could be actually using this AI technology that could be using it for animals and to promote like a, promote um, biodiversity and different things like that. That was so interesting and inspiring to me. Um, so Lewa uses this program called Earth Ranger, which is like it's basically how they track all of their rangers, their researchers, they track all their elephants on there through like satellite imaging. And it's basically this program that was developed by the Allen Institute of Artificial Intelligence Research. And they did it with partnerships like Microsoft and different things like that. And it's a free program that they use to basically finally have an online medium to put all of the information about the animals in Lewa. Um, and they don't use a lot of like AI sorting systems with that because we talked to people, it was like, there's a lack of like IT support in their community, like people who are interested in doing that support, people who have jobs that their job is just to sort all of the thousands of like images and audio clips that go into the system. That's people's jobs. Um, those are things, and they have a lack of like reliable internet connection. Um, so my hope was that I, I'm proposing, like I'm designing a proposal for a mock version of this Earth Ranger system um, that would be for kids. And it would be, I, I just came up with the name Earth Ranger Junior. Um, and it's angled towards children six and up in Lewa's digital literacy program. So they have a program that's basically sending um, digital, like just trying to digitize schooling around Lewa. And that program would provide like children with the context they need to understand how large and bountiful the Lewa landscape is, and it would hopefully be able to measure and encourage interests in the conservation and computer science fields. And the hope is that it would be like a map sort of simulation game where they could like find different entities and they could have a profile and they could be a ranger on, um, on Lewa in this game. And it would hopefully be able to way, be a way to measure like how interested these kids are and hopefully spark interest in that field so they would have support in the future. And Suzanne, um, there's, I mean, you've been able to hear, and I'm sure you've heard kind of plenty um, since you all have all been together about all the great experiences your peers have been having. And I know your experience was probably just as awesome. So I want to hear about what your research question was, why it was important, and your experience with it in Kenya. Yeah, of course. So my research uh, question was, how can education and community involvement help stop the poaching of African rhinos? Um, so when I started out, I'm really passionate about wildlife and conserving animals that are endangered. And I was looking at the black rhino specifically when I started doing my research. Um, and then I broadened it to African rhinos, rhinos which is white and black rhinos. And um, I found as I was looking that um, there are a lot of anti-poaching methods that have been used over the years to try and combat the uh, poaching crisis, especially the most recent one that started around 2008. Um, 
but the ones that have been the most effective have always been ones that are involved with community conservation, which is when um, a conservancy works with the local communities to help preserve wildlife and biodiversity. Um, and so my project um, sort of asks the question, um, how can we promote this through education and community involvement? And uh, what I found is that it really depends on awareness about the importance community has with animals. Um, because of colonization in a lot of places in Africa, um, local communities did not have control over their own wildlife for the longest time. They didn't have um, the ability to decide how they get conserved, who gets to um, who gets to hunt, who gets to um, preserve certain areas. It was always dominated by um, the colonizers. And what's really important about my research project is that it focuses on empowering um, the local communities to give them opportunities um, when it comes to their own animals and their own wildlife, um, because they should be in charge. They should be able to decide what happens. And it's really about helping them into leadership positions to learn and um, do what they think is best for their community and their wildlife. And Suzanne, I know you identify this as a challenge and, you know, and I can hear the why, but does the community also identify this as a challenge? Like, was this something that they felt like they were struggling with and was looking for a solution for? Yeah. Um, I mean, not so much now because um, people have been given more opportunities, I think in Lewa especially, but it still remains an issue in many countries, um, um, like in South Africa, for instance. But um, from what we understand from the community, what I was hearing was that community conservation also gives them a lot of benefits because those communities work with the conservancies. The conservancies in turn support the communities like Lewa is doing a lot of water projects that are allowing um, ag agricultural communities to have more water for their crops, for their families. And um, the rangers at Lewa are more trusted often than the police in Kenya. So when the community has a problem, they're more likely to call Lewa to come help them than they are the police because there is that relationship of trust between those two communities. Okay, and I'll, and I'll ask you, and then I'll kind of circle it back around, but I mean, you all have done projects that are so much bigger than Kansas City, which is the goal. And I think you all have accomplished that. And so that you all could truly be global citizens. And sometimes obviously what works there isn't necessarily what works here. And so what do you hope um, that people really take away from your project? And ultimately, what impact on the world are you looking to make? Um, Suzanne, I'll start with you. I think what I want people to take away if they, you know, even get to hear about our project is that it's so much bigger than than your own little community. I mean, every community is important, but it's really easy to get um, blinders on and only think about yourself and the people around you. Um, and I know when I was in Kenya, I was, it was mind altering just being in a place that is so different from your own. Um, and it was 
beautiful to experience. And I think a lot of people only value what they have around them and they they see other things and they're like, wow, that's cool, but they don't really see it for how important it truly is. And I think the most important thing to do is learn as much as you can about every culture, every place, travel as much as you can, experience as many new things as you can, because everybody is important and everybody is struggling and we can all help each other, but not if we stay in our own little bubbles. And I think it's really important that people outreach to each other more often. And I'm hoping just a small research project like the ones we've done could help other people to want to reach out. Uh, my favorite memory was uh, probably our last night there when um, one of our unofficial tour guides, Josephette, we um, gave him a birthday party because he didn't know when his birthday was, um, only the year. So we um, we got him a bunch of gifts and wrote him a bunch of notes and we were all kind of partying together and then we all started dancing because we choreographed a dance for him to Country Roads Take Me Home because it's his favorite song. And um, it was ridiculous and it was fun. And then when we stopped dancing, um, all the local Kenyans that were supporting our campsite just started dancing their own local dances just out of the blue. And then we all started dancing and learning um, each other's dance moves. And it was, it was just a really authentic exchange of culture that I'll never forget because it was completely unprompted and it just really touched me. Oh, that's beautiful. Dance is truly the language that unifies. Um, thank you for sharing that. Mary, what do you hope for and what impact do you um, hope to make in the world? Um, I hope that, uh, like, I, I don't know if I hope, I don't know if I can see, like, fully the potential, like, push out, like, I don't know. With these projects, I don't fully know if I can see, like, it completely changing the world and, like, changing all this stuff. But I do hope that it like inspires me almost in the future to keep making projects like this and to keep on like, I don't know, I wasn't even interested in artificial intelligence before this. And I'm hoping that something as small as this got me interested in it. I'm hoping that if we're able to spread this classroom format almost to other parts of the world and to the parts of the world where like they actually have these animals in reach and they have all these things within reach but they still don't get to sort of research them as in depth I think that we should be able to supply that to them more easily and I think I wish we could spread more like they have an education center at Lewa I wish we could spread the ideas of this course to that center I think that'd be really beneficial and what was your favorite memory or experience um you actually Claire reminded me of something with the the mangoes. <laughs> um, we had this medicinal plant woman, and she um, her name was Nimini. I think that's how you say it. Um, and she's been working with the, the communities, and like we're just doing all sorts of like medicine and different types of things to these communities for a really long time. Um, but she gave me a mango, <laughs> and um, I just I was like it wasn't ready or ripe yet, and I remember we were just waiting and hoping that it would be ripe by the day that we left, but it wasn't. So um, I stuck it into the country <laughs> illegally. 
And so I I made made it into America with one of the best tasting mangoes that I've ever had, and that was really cool to just get to eat that and have a piece of Kenya with me. Yeah. And you said it was one of the best the best tasting ones you've ever had. Yeah, they they were. We had them every morning, which was crazy, and they were just like so. Like the ones here are kind of sour a little bit, and they have like those were just sweet. They tasted like candies. Like <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> They probably taste like danger, Mary. So it's like sometimes danger tastes better, I guess. That's awesome. Uh, Ginger, what about you? Um, what hope do you um, hope to have with this project or what impact would you love to make in the world? So I think I really surprised myself with this project and how much I could like do um, just coming up, like writing my research paper and coming up, up with a solution just felt really good. I was proud of myself and I hope it encourages me to create more solutions like as I like pursue higher education like in college and beyond that. I'm hoping like even like the basic skills I learned here, I can apply them to stuff in the future. Um, and I also hope that my project will like inspire anyone else who um, sees it or just reads about it because you never know like what will like it'll take for someone to start something new and make a change. And what was your favorite memory or experience? I think it was just being with all the people we met, like our class, um, the two Kenyan students who were with us, Diana and Sabina, and Josepha and Abdul, our unofficial tour guides, and all the other people who were like working with Layla, coming up with solutions, and they were so passionate about what they did. I think that was the best part. And Claire, what about you? What do you hope? Um, that will happen as a result of your project and what impact would you like to make? Um, it feels kind of lofty to think that like my research could make like this massive impact, but I would really hope that through the research I've done, people would be more encouraged to adopt drip irrigation systems, not just in Kenya, but around the world because like sustainable development um, and like using water wisely is not just a problem where there's droughts. I mean, it's a, it's a global issue. Um, and I mean, I'm hoping that if like information that I've written down can spread to um, farmers, just even if it's just like 50 farmers, like that's still a lot of water that's being saved. Um, so I'm just, I'm hoping that that's like an impact that I can have on the environment and on farms just to be more sustainable and take care of our environment more. My favorite memories are just some of our little like van rides. We had these little um, vehicles that we rode around the conservancy and the surrounding communities in. Um, and it was some of the conversations that we had in those vans were just, I mean, things I'll never forget. I mean, I mean, a lot of it was just us, you know, being like high schoolers, but like we were having these conversations with two other high schoolers from Kenya and with our tour guides who were from Kenya and just learning about their lives, us telling them about ours and being able to interact with people that for a long time 
you know, going to Kenya, it was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be living with these Kenyans and just becoming like their friends and like having these like just regular exchanges with them. Um, and at the same time, being in these vehicles and then just looking to your right after this conversation and, oh, there's a lion five feet from me. Or, oh my gosh, is that a giraffe blocking the road? Like it was, I mean, all of my like favorite memories from the trip, that trip are just being in those vans and having conversations with people and hey, seeing Emily, cool I'll things. end it with you. And I mean, gosh, I'm experiencing this virtually and you were able to be on the ground with these amazing young ladies and experience it with them like directly through their eyes in that moment. What do you hope? Um, not only for this project moving forward or this class moving forward, but for these young ladies. I, so I have been to Kenya before and going with them and seeing it actually the second time, but through their eyes was so much more powerful because you could see how much they were learning and appreciating. Um, and I hope it builds confidence in them that I think this task is daunting to go into a different country, to come up with the research and come up with a solution that feels authentic. Um, it is daunting, but I see their progression and their growth throughout all of this. And I hope that's something that they'll walk away into their future careers, whatever it is that they're doing, saying, like, I can do anything. Um, I also hope that they remember that feeling of connecting with others and how important that is that this world is so much larger than ours and I always say like the only thing I want to do is to leave the world a better place than it was when I was here and if that's something that I could rub off onto them or that they can walk away with then I feel like I've done my job as a teacher as an educator right um I it's not about the trip it's more about the people it's more about the mindset and the growth in terms of being a good human being. Um, and so those are kind of the things that are more important than me to me than a grade, right, on their paper. So, yes. <laughs> what was your favorite memory with them in Kenya? That's so hard. I have so many. <laughs> um. I think it's all of the silly moments when they weren't worried about being any certain way, when they're climbing the trees, climbing the cars, like jumping into water and just being silly and unapologetically themselves, but also doing that alongside all of these um, locals who were so excited and loving to embrace it alongside with them. And even though they've lived here all of their lives, the Kenyan students and the Kenyan people, you could see the joy that they were having. I think it's the same joy that I was experiencing, just watching our students embrace the land and love it as much as they have been loving it um, their whole lives. Well, thank you all. I, I personally have so many takeaways from this conversation um, with you all. It's, it's truly an honor um, to get to hear what you all experience um, in a different country. Um, but just some quick takeaways I have is that for our audience to never stop surprising ourselves, um, to be so ridiculous um, that it just doesn't feel natural, to just keep taking risks, even if that means bringing a mango back into a country, um, to keep sharing info across our different communities, to never stop unifying through dance, 
to have continuous conversations about our culture so we can better understand each other and to always, always be unapologetically ourselves. So again, thank you all for joining us today. Good luck with your senior year. Um, And we truly enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 